Hi, I'm Connor Hibbard, and I'm right about most things. I'm Lou Barron, and no, he's not. Wait, what? Welcome to your Wednesday matinee, the musical theater podcast where we write four single-spaced pages about the structural intricacies of Evita so you don't have to. It'll be a romp. Evita, Evita, <laughs> Evita. We could go for ages with this, but. Yeah, um, let's just scream Evita over and over again. And boom, it's an intro. When we were watching that, I had the thought that for April Fools, we should just put out an episode of it's 30 minutes of us screaming Evita. Why, why would you even say that? Why would you so plant funny. that seed? I think it's so funny. Anyway, oh welcome to episode two, season two of your Wednesday matinee. We want to start a, perhaps start a new series or just, or just do this as a one-off. We're not sure yet. Um, we want to fix Evita. That's the plan. We're definitely going to fix Evita because Andrew Lloyd Webber clearly did not do a good enough job of writing it. And it has so much potential and we feel very passionately and we're going to fix it right now. I wish we had set up a camera and recorded our session of us us watching Evita because it was highly entertaining. We we think we fix it. We think we We really do. We think we've done it. And if Andrew Lloyd Webber had just hired a freaking dramaturg (laughs) back in the day, then I don't think we would be in this position. But we have taken it upon ourselves to fix this musical. Well, first of all, before actually before we fully entirely get into it, we did watch the slime tutorial of Evita with Elena Roger and um, Ricky Martin. And Michael Severus. And Michael Severus and many more. So feel free to go and watch that. Uh, It'll make a whole lot more sense if you've actually seen Evita. Or go and see a local production of Evita if one happens to be near you. Um, or if you just got out of a local production of Evita, say say you went to a Wednesday matinee of Evita and you get out and you look on Spotify and your favorite musical theater podcast has just dropped an episode about fixing Evita. And maybe you walked out of the theater thinking, hmm, that musical had a lot of potential, but could have been a lot better with some key changes. And then we talk about that very thing. I mean, then you're already set, so... Well, why don't we just dive right in because let's do it. The first um, primary issue we, we find is the inconsistent and shallow characterization of our protagonist, Ava herself. Oh, as a little bit of context, <laughs> Evita is a real person. If you didn't know, this is a true, yes. based on a true story. She was the first lady of Argentina and she had built this incredibly powerful cult of personality around her as the sort of symbol uh, of Peronism and the the leader, the symbolic leader, the sort of goddess of the descamisados who are the shirtless ones, so the the poor people in Argentina. Um, But she was also a monster and a fascist and a really horrible and sort of heartless woman. Um, And that is is sort of the, the central conflict in, in her character is, is how do we how do we deal with her legacy? Um, we'll get to that question in a little bit. We will. But, um, Lou, Lou, you you wrote this first point, so why don't you why don't you take it? Yes. So I remember seeing Evita for the first time. You you watch this this funeral procession. There's probably some footage of the actual funeral of Eva Peron. That's very common 
um, choice directorially for the beginning of the show and they're in mourning and they're in mourning and then Shay comes out and he's the the narrator the audience liaison of the piece and kind of serves as the contrasting point of view to Ava and her life he's constantly kind of critiquing it throughout and immediately this caught my attention I was like okay who's this guy coming in here and like spouting political theory all over the place in the middle of a musical we get this kind of long nightclub scene where we meet Evita and we kind of see her interact with some people and then we get to Buenos Aires like she arrives in Buenos Aires and there's the big dance number Buenos Aires and they're lifting her around like Jesus Christ literally um that always happens. They, they lift her in a cross formation very, very purposefully. But I don't think I actually tuned in to the musical itself or to the character of Evita until the song I'd Be Surprisingly Good For You, which is song. a fantastic song. And it's her, her, it's her first interaction with Juan Perón, who is the dictator or becomes the dictator of Argentina. It was only really in their first interaction in that song that I was like, oh, this is actually, could potentially be a person, like a really interesting person. Because up to that point, it's all kind of this talk about her and she's saying things about, oh, you know, like I've slept with lots of men. And then Che is like, yeah, she slept with a lot of men. And I mean, there's literally the entire song (laughs) called Goodnight and Thank You, where they're just kind of like lightly poking fun at the fact that she's like sleeping her way through Buenos Aires. And it's like, okay, cool. But like, who is this person? We don't really know. She's portrayed as very villainous. She's portrayed as very like cunning, but we don't really have a sense of where any of that comes from in her. Basically, she's not a human being until we see her interact with Juan. And that's a problem yes. for a protagonist of a musical. Before Surprisingly Good for You, it just does so much telling and it doesn't show very much. We have yes. Shay telling us that she does all these things and that she is this way and people see her as this way. But it, it really, Surprisingly Good for You is, I completely agree, really where you get to see sort of how she charms, how she works and sort of get a a, a deeper glimpse into her mind. And you also, I would say, get it a little bit in Buenos Aires in the more, in the slower, more sweeping introspective moment where she goes like, oh, if ever I go too far, too far, it's because of the things you are. Like Buenos Aires, she's talking about the city. like, oh, I love this town. I love the hustle and the bustle. I love the, the bright lights, which is a bit cliche, but also it gives you a sense of like her love for grandeur and her desire for like something more than herself, um, which definitely comes out in her life story. The moments of charm for her character throughout are in her one-to-one interactions with people of which there are not enough. This is like a central issue that leads into the next issue, I think, which is time management and pacing. So to sort of bridge the gap between these two points, this is a minor nitpick that goes into both of them. They keep making fun of her being an actress, but we never see her do any actressing. Why? Just just show us like (laughs) literally five seconds of her like posing for a camera. That's it. That's all we need. And it's, it's also kind of an interesting, or it would be if it occurred in the show, 
kind of like an interesting posturing of her character because if the if the thought is like she's kind of acting all the time to get her way and it's hard to tell what she really wants because she has these kind of very clear objectives with people and how she wants them to act and to for her own benefit essentially um not not that actors are all self-indulgent manipulative people in this case it would be kind of a fun little meta thing of her you know behaving one way in front of a camera or in a role I don't know and then turning around into her like personality role because the pacing of the show is so strange mm-hmm. we spend too much time on the things that are kind of inconsequential to her and her character and not enough time exploring the things that could potentially reveal her as a more fully fleshed out person and the the way that we would do that is by rearranging the structure yes because because that nightclub scene that we mentioned is too long so Um, long it's so long too long and it starts with this guy singing this pretty song and then they talk a lot and she i wanna be i wanna be in buenos aires i don't know what the word going in that yeah 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 but um, that's the idea yeah and we just spend way too long and I just want her to get to Buenos Aires at this point right I love the line about we were kept out of sight hidden at his funeral at her father's funeral because that is true um they mm-hmm. were not allowed at their father's funeral because they were lower class that is a true life fact I like that keep that in establish that and then get her to the actual city quicker yeah um because again like the only thing we learned that and we learn that she is from a poor kind of rough and tumble background where she's had sex with people. Mm-hmm. And it does not take 15 minutes to say that. That's precious time. There, there are other kind of elements of act one that take some time that could kind of be argued either way, I think. One of those things is the art of the possible, which is essentially this little military ballet which I think is actually really great for this show and would be even better for the show if the other elements around it kind of came together yeah. more fully because it, it builds this mood of, you know, rising dictatorship and fascism in Argentina very well. And yeah, there's, there's nothing like uh, men in uniforms kind of like balletically kneeing each other in the balls to rise to power. Um, it's, it was just, it's, it's one of my favorite little moments of act one and it's how we meet and it's how we meet one as well. If that happened sooner, because the time at the beginning was spent more economically, like like we meet Perón in this little, or Juan Perón, I should say, in, uh, this little ballet, he comes out and like five minutes later, it is Evita is like subtly hinting to him that they should stage a coup, like immediately. Yeah. (laughs) It's it we, we the nightclub scene takes like so long and then we rocket to the finish line right. of Act One, which we'll get to the finish line of Act One in just a moment. But it is like she gets there. Oh, okay, there's a coup. Oh my god, they're uh, staging it. Oh my god, they're married. Oh my god, it's intermission. And again, we've had at, up to this point, we have had no quiet moments with Vita. None. Really, None. just like seeing her interact, except for that one little scene with Juan that is so captivating. And then we're kind of into New Argentina 
which which Connor has some qualms with this particular version of a new Argentina as well, which I, I understand. And then we pretty much go straight into a new Argentina, which in the 2012 revival um, is too slow. Please pick up the tempo. Oh my God, please move faster. Anyway. Yeah, and especially it becomes super clear too because the pace is slower. How ridiculous the score is for Evita specifically because Mm -hmm. she has to sustain these notes she's essentially like belting on the ceiling and when the pace is slow especially it's so it's so apparent that like no one can do that physically without struggling to a certain extent if you watch the tony's uh performance with patty and bob gunton which is wonderful patty Mm -hmm. is going she's a but you very loves you understand you but elena rogers going and that's so hard and i feel it's like how like the breath the breath support training even on the album yeah it's it's really tough basically andrew hates women's voices and there's there's like more more evidence for this in his other shows as well where he just like clearly does not understand like the physics of how Mm -hmm. like specifically female voices work but that's an entire other podcast perhaps that said with all of these strange pacing issues in act one there is one beautiful simple fix holy grail that like how how did no one decide this see this think about this as a possibility i genuinely have no freaking clue it's so clear to, to both of us. Just put Don't Cry For Me Argentina at the end of Act One. So here's the, here's the logic. A new Argentina <laughs> sets up. So during a new Argentina, they get married too. Um which is a nice little moment they're getting they're staging the coup while getting married we both said that was it that was a great staging um it's such a good image so then intermission and then we open with don't cry for me argentina <sighs> this is why there's a second act slump in this musical is because you start with the most famous song and i guess you don't know it's going to be the most famous song when you write it but come on you do um Oh, absolutely. In previews, it's, you know. Yeah. It's if you didn't know before, exactly. and then you can change things. Before you freeze the show. It is is a it's a show stopping number. It's one of the the show tunes that like everybody knows. A lot oh, yeah. of people outside of musical theater have heard of this song. And it's and it's great because it also works in a story sense because it's a propaganda song. Yes. Ava telling the Argentinian people how much she loves them and don't cry for me because I love you and I love being your first lady. And then immediately after that, she's like to Perón, that was good, right? Like we got them basically. Put that at the end of act one, you get the little devious uh, twist at the end and you also get the show stopping number. You give the audience time to rest, react and prepare themselves for act two. And then act two doesn't feel like such a slog fixed yeah you're welcome fixed and and you know the other thing that we talked about at length is if Avita as a musical knows and portrays enough that don't cry for me Argentina is a propaganda song yes um because there it could potentially be construed as 
legitimate for an audience in which the audience kind of gets swept up in the propaganda as well. And they really genuinely grow to love Evita as many people in Argentina actually did when that's not the point of the show. Um, and a very simple solution to this that I thought of is a way to like actually make the nightclub scene useful. It still needs to be shorter, but it could be useful if we had a character, a small side character, I, I don't care really that much who they are or what they do. Magaldi. It could even be Magaldi. We discussed, we discussed that as well. Who knows, knows Evita from her humble backgrounds. All you have to do is like have them interact and in the nightclub scene, like in some pointed, pointed manner, and then put that same person in the audience during Don't Cry For Me Argentina and show them, put a spotlight on them looking horrified at the things that she is saying and not buying a word because they know where she comes from and she know and, and they, they know, know ambition right and they know like her true malicious intent yeah. in this situation you just have to highlight that very clearly and then boom super dramatic yes curtain falls end of act one right there she finishes it bam maybe put in some minor chord or something something a little ominous get the curtain down and let me go to the bathroom. <laughs> Absolutely. So you might be asking Connor and Lou, you silly geese. Um, <laughs> what, what, what goes at the top of act two? If you move, don't cry for Mary Argentina. Rainbow, hi. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rainbow, hi. That is energy. It's a good song. It's high energy and it gets you rolling. Gets you riggedy rolling onto the act two train and it's like a montage too it is so you start with a need to be rainbow high i'm really singing a lot on this episode yeah you're very um, you're getting into it quite a lot yeah, i really am um yeah and then she goes on the tour little montage and it's high energy it allows you to get back into things and coming out from the sad and ominous end of act one you're like oh this is a musical and i have energy and it's fun i like watching musicals and then it, yeah and then it, it's just it's the perfect fix and i don't understand yeah and it's exactly what an act two opener is supposed to do it's supposed to like kickstart you back into it um yes. and get like super excited because that that question of like how is she going to reconcile her actions with herself and how is this political thing going to play out like those are both immediately with rainbow high and rainbow tour those are the answer to those questions kind of like starts yes. a little bit yes. so that's exactly. why it's like it's what the audience is coming back in after their bathroom break wanting to hear about yeah we fixed Davida guy Okay, but this isn't even like, we haven't even gotten to the spiciest oh, fix. No. To even get the audience invested in the answers to those questions in the first place, as we're like idealing, ideally assuming would happen with the fix of uh, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina at the end of act one, there's another key piece to that puzzle of why it would work. And it goes back again to why I was compelled by I'd Be Surprisingly Good For You. And it's Ava's one-on-one -on -one interactions with people she needs, she needs to interact, have conversations with Shay a lot more yeah. than she does. Because right now she doesn't. 
like at all basically if you so for those who don't know the show as as well or maybe watching it for the first time and then listening to this shay um is the narrator and they meet and he's very critical of ava and they meet one time and have one conversation in the show it's called waltz for ava and shades near the end and it slaps (laughs) i think it would slap a whole lot more if they talked more before that point before before the waltz happens they need to have a pre-existing rich complicated enthralling fascinating relationship now now let let's back up even even further because this whole thing started with my controversial and now sort of discredited but also still kind of valid opinion that i don't think chain needs to be in this musical but he does though i think what we've come up with for Che is better than no Che at all, but no Che at all is better than actual Che. In the musical as written. Yes, as written. We, I could argue on that point as well, but I will not because this is more interesting. You don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, this is because this is far, this is far more interesting. Yeah. Um, so, and it comes down, it comes down to this, ladies and gentlemen and folks, of all genders. This story called Evita is not Evita's story. No. It's not Evita's story, friends. It's Che's story. He's the and protagonist. it should be Che's. And he's a, the hidden protagonist. Yeah, because you, you, you're set up, it's Evita. You're going to see Patti Lapone. You're going to see Elena Roger sing lots of things and be very impressive. Yeah. But what sneaks up on you, or what should ideally sneak up on you as an audience member, is that it is not her freaking story. The story here should be Che grappling with how to deal with Ava Perone's legacy. That should be the guiding question of the entire show. And the only way he can do that, the only way he can grapple with that legacy is by talking to her directly and by challenging her because that is the kind of thing that you can do in a musical. That is the kind of thing that a musical affords you the creative license to do because obviously Che is not like exactly a human being. He's a character in a musical. And this Ava is not literally Ava Perone who existed and breathed and died on this earth. In a musical about this issue, that is meant to explore things that are larger than the situation at hand, they can interact and have really fascinating and funny and sexy conversations. And I don't, and I don't, I don't mean in like a literally like sexy way, but like the tension, the electricity in their interactions should feel almost like a sexual tension because that's what the waltz feels like. And imagine how much more it would feel like that if they actually had been interacting the entire show. And this is also how we can hear Ava's own perspective about things because this is like my other like large theory about this. If we can treat Che like the voice in Ava's head that is her working class background that is challenging her all the time. Like, am I doing the right thing? Is this horribly wrong? Because no one who does or no one who did the things that she did could do those things without questioning that sometimes. So if Che can be the embodiment of that questioning as he is interrogating her about like, how could a human being live like this essentially, Mm -hmm. then we have such like rich grounds for exploration. They just need to talk because otherwise, and and as it is in the musical right now, it operates as Che is yelling at us 
or Evita is doing things and charming a nation and not talking to us about it and not talking to anyone about it. And then Shay is yelling at us that actually she's a monster. And that is not a conversation. We need to have actual deliberate conversations between these characters. It makes it clearer for the audience um, and not just clear for the audience, but encourages them to take a side and, and, yeah. and to in, in, internalize both of these characters and see how they're right and how they're flawed. Yes. And Che, che is like our window into yes. the story because he's he's talking to the audience. He's guiding the audience essentially through this entire show. So we're going to see everything through his perspective. And the first thing we hear him say, which I still think basically should be the thing that he says, or at least the sentiment is like, Ava Perone sucks. She's horrible. She's a monster. And to borrow a phrase from Kevin McCollum, Captured the Imaginations, of all of these people. But that is not what he thinks because he would not be leading us through an entire musical if he already was secure in his belief about that. And we shouldn't be secure in our belief about who she is either. And that is the journey that Che goes on throughout the show. As written right now, Che is not a character. He's just a narrator, just like shouting into a void. And it's so much more interesting if he actually goes on a journey so then the audience can go on the journey with him. Everything yeah. is so static in this musical as written. You, you, yeah. There's no journey to be taken. Yeah, and and this is where her relationship with Juan can come into, yeah. um, because as she's forming her connection with him, with Juan in act one, I think Che should definitely be kind of questioning and prodding about that too. And that way we could kind of hear her side of, and I think what would make this actually compelling is if, yes, she has political aspirations, clearly. She's going after him because she has these political aspirations and whatever. But I think if she thinks that they also have somewhat of a foundation of love, and we hear that, we hear it in her conversations with Che. Because if you, if you want to make the whole like sex worker background thing compelling too, which it's not as written, maybe she's actually looking for someone to love her and appreciate her after her entire life of not being loved and appreciated. And that's so, that's so consistent with her character because her ambition, she needs the love of an entire nation and it's still not enough for her. Exactly. So maybe if, if we had that side of it and we could see that, that motivation in her, then after the waltz, which I think it would kind of be the pivotal point that Ava and Che do reach somewhat of a respect for one another. You Must Love Me is the next song. And how much more compelling of a song would it be? How many times can I say compelling in this episode? If that song from Ava to Juan was a plea, it was like, I am on the floor. You must love me love me and what if he didn't accept it what if he left her on the floor and walked the frick out because we have established that this is a political relationship and yes. in the musical that's what's been established and then you must love me as song and he's like oh yes i do love her and i take personal issue with a <laughs> fascist dictator being humanized in this musical it's so much better if it's a plea and then he's like 
Nah, I'm good. And then we have reason to like Evita, which we do not in the current musical. Yeah, because like who who is not gonna empathize with her in that moment? And that makes our knowledge of her actions so much more conflicting in us as audience members. So we are then feeling what Che feels about her and and then she dies. If that happens and we build last minute empathy for her, then we care when she dies. Yes. The death, her death in this musical makes me so angry. Something I do when I'm watching a musical or a movie and it just sort of drags on too long, I just whisper to myself, just end the musical. Just end, <laughs> just stop it right now. And that's how I felt so hard when I was watching Evita for the first time. The ending deifies her and just is like, oh, remember how we set her up as this like villain? Nah. If we build that empathy for her, we're like, oh, so maybe she's a horrible person. She's done all these awful things, but maybe I understand a little bit more. And then you care about her going into the final movement of the show. And, and the final movement of the show, I think what would be the key final movement of the show actually kind of does happen a little bit. Yeah. And it's Che eulogizing her essentially. Yeah. And if that was more of a soliloquy and more of a like, how do I deal with this? How... Like we've seen this story, like I feel differently after having questioned her and like kind of sat with all of this. We're like with him in that questioning. And then some kind of a version of Ava's lament could still happen, except it's directed to Che, not the audience. Yeah. Because it, it makes no sense as it stands. It makes no sense as it stands right now. Yeah, for her to then, like after we've set up the convention of her not talking to the audience, to then turn and talk to the audience. Like there's not like a groundwork, like a framework set up where that would make sense, like within the logic of this world. So if she is still talking to Che and she's saying like, this is my lament, like this is how I justify it to myself, blah, 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 blah. And Che's like, ah, no, no, no. Like, how do I handle this? I don't know how to handle this. And then it ends very dramatically. It depends on how you want to play the, the literal last moments of the show. It currently ends with Che saying, you know, Ava was buried or something, and then her body disappeared for 17 years, which is true. You can end it like that. I think that's sort of a, a an inconclusive ending where Chase like, oh, I don't know how I feel about her, actually. Um, you could end it like that. You could come up with something. I think there's probably better things out there, but that would perhaps work if it had the right staging. And you had the right buildup of Chase's character. Yeah, that was the one thing that we actually didn't entirely land on was like how to actually end it. Because yeah. I think I think that would become clear throughout the process of actually making these changes to the script and like writing it out and like really going into the trenches, the, the trenches, into the trenches of like making it happen. Um, which obviously like, it's very easy for us to sit here and say like, here are the problems, here's how to fix some boom problem solved. But like actually writing is very difficult. Yeah. Um, writing is hard. No disrespect to uh, Sir Andrew in that way, because writing is hard. Okay. Okay. Connor might have disrespect, but I, I have respect at least to the extent of like writing being difficult. Sure. Yeah. However, we fixed it. We, we did it. And I just want to say, like, this is a public service announcement. Andrew, I hope you're listening. Um, I'm, a, I'm 20 years old. I'm a college student. 
if I can find the time and the brain power and the energy to fix a musical, so can you sitting in your stupid big house with your large piles of money. Do it. Do it. I don't even own a piano. And I, I know too that like all, all of these like old white men composers that have given us such work, they, they all have issues, man. They all kind of suck to a certain extent, um, including, by the way, Sondheim, who we often are like very complimentary of on this show. And this is also true of Stephen Schwartz. But you know what I admire about Stephen Schwartz? What's that? Stephen Schwartz has never stopped writing Pippin. He's still doing it. (laughs) He's still writing it. Like every time there's a new production of Pippin, it changes. And I wish that Andrew Lloyd Webber, AL dubs, if you will, would bring that same energy to Evita. That was cathartic. I I feel so much better now that this is like out in the world. Um, If you didn't know, this podcast is really just our therapy. Yeah, it really Um, is. We have a lot of anger. Yeah. We have a lot all, of emotion. I'm constantly angry. Yeah. This this is an outlet, y'all. It's an outlet. Um, but Lou, I have some pretty um surprisingly bad news for you. Surprisingly bad news. Yeah. Aha. Uh, you see what I did there? I see I see it. Yeah. Uh well, this outlet has to be over now because unfortunately this episode of your Wednesday matinee is closed after just one performance. But luckily, we'll be back in two weeks with another one-night-only can't-miss-theatrical event. And if you just can't wait another two weeks for your Broadway radio fix... I know I can't. Then tune in to The Best of Broadway every Sunday morning from 10 to noon on 92 WICB. Listen on 91.7 FM in Ithaca, New York, or stream from anywhere on WICB.org. And to hear the music we discussed in today's show, check out 92WICB on Spotify for a custom-made playlist and the description for this episode. We'd also like to thank Epidemic Sound for our intro and outro music. If there's anything you would like us to put on the podcast stage, send us an email at matinee at WICB.org. And for more content, be sure to follow us at WICB Podcasts on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you.